Well, this is our final week of our Job series. We've been talking about Job, a story of hope, and hopefully we're going to finish strong here. Uh, I want us to see another thing that makes this a story of hope, and it's ultimately that Job story, which is really we're seeing God's story playing out through Job's life. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of, of redemption. If we go back to the beginning, week one, week one where we started, where did we start? We started at the end. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Job chapter 42. And we're going to be kind of hopping in and out of Job uh, 42 for the rest of our time here. So when we're done with this, you can keep your thumb there if you want. But open up Job 42 or turn on your Bible, go to Job 42, verse 12, just the first part of that. This has kind of been the, the theme for this series. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. I know I kind of jumped on that. If you still want to flip to it and find it, like I said, we're going to be in Job 42 the rest of the morning here. But there's things that we can learn from the story of Job. Um, we can see, okay, well, what does it look like to have a blessed life? Because despite all the pain, despite all the trials that Job went through, we just see here that the Lord blessed the latter days of Job's life more than the beginning. And we're going to unpack that a little more here. We're going to really see how does God's story of redemption play out in Job's life? And what would it look like uh, played out in our lives as well? well? For those who are wondering what's next, okay, so wrapping up Job, what do we have coming up? We have a, a new series called Homeward Bound. And it's really looking at this perspective of what does it look like to live in the world as a follower of Jesus? There are all kinds of different groups of Christians that have a different perspective on what it looks like to live in this world, right? From some of the extremes uh, to where you completely isolate yourself and you cut yourself off, off from um, any other community whatsoever and you have your own little Christian powwow uh, to the, hey, we need to be in the, the deepest, darkest places, fully engaged in everything the world's doing so we can have a voice in their life. Uh, you have the spectrum. And so what does it look like as followers of Jesus to live in this world um, are we homebound? Are we falling in love with the ways of this world? Or are we homeward bound? Or are we looking ahead to where God is calling us? And are we living in this world where we're loving the things that God loves and the people that God loves? And what does that look like uh, to live out on a daily basis? And so I'm really excited about this series we have coming up next. I invite you to come out and be a part of that journey as well. That'll be about four or five weeks here uh, in the month ahead. Uh, for those of you, or, or even those of your friends who are still exploring uh, who Jesus is. Again, this would be a great series. Invite them out to because part of learning what it looks like to live for Jesus, they'll hear a description of that. They'll, they'll know, okay, well, here's what Jesus is all about. Here's his heart. And so if you have someone who's just asking questions about, you know, this Jesus you keep talking about, tell me more about him. Invite him out. Have him, hey, come with me to church on Sunday. You know, offer them lunch afterwards. You don't have to say free lunch. Just say, hey, we'll have lunch afterwards. And then you can figure out from there. Uh, but have them come out and just enjoy some time with them, and, and then uh, we'll, we'll get to know who Jesus is more together. When I first started ministry, um, I was in youth ministry. I was one of those guys that I got frustrated when I would talk to someone at, at the school I went to who said, well, I want to be a, a pastor someday of a church, but, you know, I'm still young, so I'll, I'll just start with youth ministry for now. It's my starter ministry. And uh, for me, that was, that was what I saw myself as. I, I thought I would be a lifelong junior high youth pastor because I'm just that little bit of crazy. Um, which you got to be to be a lifelong junior high worker at all, whether it's youth pastor or teacher or whatever. So if, if you work with junior high students, God bless you. Love you. Love your heart. I always said to my junior high students that they were God's favorite people. Now, my high school students didn't really like that, but, you know, they're out of God's favor anyway. So, um, 
So when I was a junior high youth pastor, I was actually working with my high school, some high school students as well. I did a mission trip to Trinidad and Tobago, and about 24 people uh, that, that were under my care, and I'm, I'm a you know, young student in college, so this was a disaster waiting to happen. And, um, but my mom was on the trip, so that was fun. Um, it really was. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. Uh, it was about 24 people. We leave from Chicago, and we're going to Trinidad and Tobago. It's, it's an island in the Caribbean. And we had one layover, and it was in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Unbeknownst to us, we were in flight when this happened. They canceled our flight to Trinidad. Uh, to, to this day, I still don't really know why. I think there was a threat of some kind of weather, uh, but nothing really major because we had another team uh, of some, you know, uh, from the church who was leaving for some medical mission stuff, going to the same place we were. They just left a little bit later in the day, and they got straight through, no problem. We left before them, and all of our connected flights for about 24 people were canceled. And so I spent the next couple hours in the airport while my, my leaders were watching, you know, 18 plus junior high and senior hires uh, in a foreign country. Well, I was still in Puerto Rico at that point. Um, you know, we can't get too far. It's an island, right? Um, I, I started to get vouchers for how do we get to a hotel, where do we stay, where do we eat, we have dinner, breakfast, all, all these changes of plans. We get it all sorted out. And they put us up in this hotel. And I'll tell you, I, 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 almost, <laughs> I almost was ashamed. You know, it's like we're on this mission trip, supposed to be coming to serve. This was one of the nicest hotels I've ever been in. And, and the dinner vouchers they gave us, um, usually you expect, okay, maybe it's like a continental breakfast, but like dinner version. You know, so it's like this, you know, the, the, the breakfast is like, okay, the same box of Cheerios that's been out for three centuries, you know, gets put out again. You know, what's the dinner version of that? I, I didn't want to find out. I mean, this was like comparable to like when I went on my honeymoon with my wife and we went to the you know, Caribbean island. I mean, this spread was amazing. All these fresh tropical fruits. And, and so we just went through this, this horrendous day of finding out, hey, you just lost all your connecting flights. And it wasn't just, hey, we'll reschedule you for one flight the next day. It was, okay, well, about here's four different flights we can get your team on. Well, I got to make sure I have a staff with each student. I'm not going to send three students off to, to puddle hop you know, island hop throughout the Caribbean, and hopefully they end up where we're trying to get. So I got to make sure I got, you know, staff everywhere. It was just kind of a, a logistical nightmare. A long day. We get to this place, and there's this feast. Well, what, what do you think I did? I took that dinner voucher, and I redeemed it for everything I could. Seriously, I think you would do the same if you were in my shoes. I mean, you would get, you know, eat as much as you could. Of that. The food was amazing. It was it tasted as good as it looked. And so we just really had a great time, a fellowship, and then, you know, the next day we, we got to uh, Trinidad Tobago and had, had a great missions trip. Um, but I, I was thinking about those vouchers we got for the dinner. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that I think sometimes when I think about faith, I know people who are pursuing Jesus, sometimes if, if we think of uh, life in Jesus as a feast, Jesus puts together this massive banquet. I think sometimes instead of bringing our voucher and saying, hey, Jesus, you know, can, can I, I want to just redeem all that I can, and get all that I can out of, out of living my life for you. I think sometimes we show up and say, yeah, can, can I get a side salad? Hold the dressing. I think that's our approach. Is, yeah, I, I trust in Jesus, but you know, the rest of that you know, faith stuff, I mean, just, just give me this little side salad to nibble on. I get a little bit of nourishment. It, we just kind of, there's so much more that we have. There's so much more that's been made available to us through God. That there's so much more that we have when we trust, as we trust in Jesus every day of our lives and pursue him, there's life change that happens. And so are we snacking at Jesus' dinner table or are we feasting? Uh, I think some people are, are just checking out Jesus' spread. 
Say, well, I don't know if I believe this. I'm just seeing what's out there. And if that's you, if you're just pursuing who Jesus is, we are so glad you are here. Meadowland Church is a safe place to ask questions. If you've ever been told, be quiet, don't ask that question, that's not going to happen here. I've had people after service ask me questions, and, and they always pull out right after service, you know, some of the hardest questions, you, you, you know, hey, this has nothing to do with what you talked about today, but what about this? The Bible says this. Well, you're right, and that's, that's a hard verse to get our head around. Let, let's pursue that. Let's, let's see what we can find out. So don't ever be afraid to ask questions. I'm glad you're here. Let's keep pursuing because the, the banquet table is set, and, and God has a spread for us. He has all kinds of life for us. Well, when you come to Jesus, he doesn't ask you to leave your baggage at the door and just bring in the parts of your life that are, that are polished and all good to go. No, he, he accepts us as we are, and that's true of this church as well. We accept you as you are. And in Jesus, we trust in him. There's forgiveness for our sins, but there's so much more than that. If we just say, okay, I, I've now been forgiven and I'm go back to the rest of my life, that's like taking that little side salad and leaving the feast behind. God wants to to work redemption in your life. If you're married they're, they're, and going through challenges, there is uh, redemption for your marriage. If you have kids, uh, siblings, your parents are still with you, other family relationships, if, if any of those are strained, there is a story of redemption waiting to be told as we allow God to work through us and in us. If you're going through a struggle in your finances, there is a story of redemption waiting to be told as God softens our hearts and moves us towards a place of generosity and giving. God desires to redeem our outlook on life and to redeem the, the capabilities of these physical bodies that we've been given and to maintain them for his purposes. Any relationships you have with friends, coworkers, peers, neighbors that are strained or broken, ones that haven't talked to so-and-so for years or decades, there's a story of redemption waiting to be told as we pursue God and let him change our life. If you're like Job and you have a story of pain and suffering, whether in your past or you're going through it right now, maybe you barely made it here this morning because of the pain and suffering and trials that you are going through, there is a story of redemption to be told. It might be in this life, it might be in the next. As we look at the story of Job and his life, we're going to see that there's some awesome things that God did in, in his days before he passed away and would go to be with God in heaven. But we can trust God is, is good and know that even if some of these trials and pains and, and suffering, even if they take our life, there is a story of redemption being told in that when we trust in Jesus for forgiveness, when we trust in Jesus for salvation, when we say, Jesus, I believe you are God, I believe your death on the cross paid the price for my sins, for my mistakes, for the ways that I've gone against God. When we, when we believe in him for that, no matter what the rest of our life looks like, when we die, we are with him in heaven. Our eternity is sealed. Like I said, let's not just take the side salad. Let's sit down at the dinner table of Jesus and feast on what he has for us. See, ultimately, this word redemption that we're talking about here this morning it was this act of paying the price for a slave's freedom. That was kind of the commonplace uh, where you'd hear this term, redemption. If there was someone in bondage in slavery, you say, hey, I, I want to pay the price to free them from that. Whatever it is, you pay it, and then they would be redeemed. They would be free. And what a great picture of what Jesus does for us in our lives, right? Because of the ways we've gone against God, because of our sin, we are a slave to our sin. 
It's going to lead us down a, a, a guaranteed path of death. Not just physical, but spiritual. And that would be a separation from God, an eternal separation from our Creator. But when we trust in Jesus, he moves us from a place of bondage into a place of freedom, a place of death to a place of life, a place with no hope and no future into a place of opportunity, from a place of separation due to our sin to a place where we are in intimate relationship with God. One of the places we can see this uh, emphasized in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. If you do want to turn there, you're more than welcome to, but keep a thumb in Job 42, because we'll be back to there. It'll be on the screen as well. Colossians 1, 13. And this is kind of some opening statements that, that Paul's making to the, about, about and to the church in Colossae. And uh, there's some new Christians there. They're excited about it. And they're speaking to them and says, uh, He has delivered us, referring to God, referring to Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So in one sense, we get a, a, a working definition right there. Redemption is this forgiveness of sin. But it doesn't just stop there in the sense of, okay, now our sin is dealt with and we can be with God in heaven, but there is a, a freedom in that. We see that in that he has delivered us from the, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's almost a sense of a change of location. When we trust in Jesus, our, our life should follow these changes, and some of them can be instant, and some of them take time as God patiently works in and through us. Redemption in Jesus brings us into the family of God, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. What, what is our response to that? Real quick, three things that we can do. What is our response to what Jesus did for us on the cross? First thing we do is, is repent of our sin. Repent of our sin. That's basically acknowledging our position before God. Yes, God, I, I have fallen short in some way or another. Someone's like, hey, I don't need to be told that. I, I know I, I've messed up. I know that's my story. I don't even I don't, I don't need to go back far. Okay, yesterday, here's how I was, you know, messed up. I, I didn't follow God's plan for my life. And so to repent of that, it's to turn and go the other way. So if, if we're used to eating garbage, and all of a sudden we see this banquet feast the Lord has put before us, so many times we go and we say, oh, this is amazing. We take a bite, and then we turn around and go back to our garbage, go back to our mud pies. To repent is to say, I'm done with that. I'm coming to the Lord's table. I'm going to have what he has for me. And yes, there's still something tempting at times about that mud pie, about the garbage that we were consuming. And so we can turn back to that at times, but then we repent, we turn from that and say, no, I'm going the other way. Repentance has this connotation of going the other way. We can repent because of what Jesus did. We can receive this free gift from God, this forgiveness in Jesus, to build upon our analogy of this banquet table, basically uh, receiving the gift it, it is sitting down at your place, and you do have a place at the table of God. Hear that, church. You have a place at the table of God. Your neighbor has a place at the table of God. I know he didn't return your weed whacker, but he's still got a place at the table. Your family has a place at the table of God. I know they frustrated you yesterday. And I know you were probably right. I'm with you on that. But they have a place at the table of God. The people you work with have a place at the table of God. You know what happened if we went door to door and knocked on doors and said hi to people? 
every person we saw would have a place at the table of God where Jesus says, come, trust in me as your Lord and Savior. You have a place. Receive your place with God. Receive this forgiveness that is offered through Jesus. So we repent and we receive. I feel like sometimes we stop there. All right, I received this gift. It'd be like on Christmas, opening up this gift and seeing it and be like, oh, this is amazing. Then you set it down and go back to whatever life was like. If it was a gift that was just, you know, if, imagine that one gift that you really longed for, whether it was a birthday or Christmas, and when you got it, you, you almost want to forsake all your other presents. You, you didn't care what else you had. You want to go ride your brand new bike. You want to go set up your new game system. You, you want to engage with it. You want to, your life was different now because you had this gift. And that's step three of our, our response is to live a redeemed life. To live a life that's been redeemed by God. See, Job lived a redeemed life. And I'm, I'm kind of summing this up into two things. If you want to say, Steve, how do I live a redeemed life? If we, as we, if we look at the life of Job, there's two things that happen in his story. First is this, he pursued God. The second is this, he was changed by God. He pursued God and he was changed by God. Let's be a people who pursue God and are changed by God. When the story of Job begins, he's already pursuing God, right? If you go back to chapter 1, we find out that here's a man who is honorable, who is pursuing God. He's actually making sacrifices and and praying for things that he doesn't even know uh, happened. Things that could have happened. Every day, one of his sons would throw a party. They'd have all the family over, and they, they go to their house, and they, they'd have this party. And the next morning, Job would wake up, and he would offer a sacrifice in case any of his kids sinned and didn't deal with it before God. He would do it on their behalf. So this is a man who is already pursuing God, but then enters the pain and the suffering and the trials of Job's life that we are all too familiar with. We've already seen week after week and we're reminded of the fact that he lost all ten of his kids, three daughters and seven sons. That he lost all of his wealth and fortune. That he lost his health on the verge of near death. And then when we had a glimmer of hope as his friends gather around him to support him and encourage him, he probably wishes he would have lost them too because their advice was garbage. To sum it up and recap, it builds and escalates quickly to the point where his one friend, Zophar, is saying, you know what? I think God killed your kids as a punishment. You might as well just give up. There's no hope. I'm paraphrasing and putting it in my own words, but that's where the tone of what he was saying was going. Too often, in our pursuit of God, as our intentions change and as life goes forward, I think the pursuit of God often becomes about pain prevention. About pain prevention, uh, more so than about our continual changing to the purpose of God. Let me read that again. It's on the screen here. The pursuit of God often becomes more about pain prevention than about continual changing to the purpose of God. And to be honest, pursuit of God isn't a way to prevent pain. We're actually promised that there, there will be trouble, there will be trials. But we get it in our head that, hey, if I'm good with God, he's got my back, and so that means there's going to be no issues, no pain, and no suffering. Job started to walk that road, but when he got this point of, of wanting to know why, God, why are you letting this happen? And he wanted an end to the pain. Whatever it takes, just let's put an end to this. And that's understandable. If you're, if you're at that place in your pain, in your trials this morning, I get it. 
I've been there too when I go through times of pain and trial. I get it. It, it, it's, it's part of being human. Find hope in that as you read Job's story. Like sometimes we, we falsely teach Job's story and say, oh, he, he didn't question God at all. He was this you know, amazing guy who walked with God. No, he's at this point too where he's like, God, I, I need to hear from you. Bring this to an end. Make this stop. Help me understand why. But see, a lot of times when we come across pain, either we abandon the pursuit of God because we don't like his answer or the fact that he hasn't given us an answer. So pain comes, trials come, suffering comes, and we abandon the pursuit of God. Oh, yeah, God, you know, I'm, I'm still a Christian. I still believe in God, but you know, I, I don't really do much with that anymore. This happened. Whether someone articulates it that clearly or not, I've heard that story time and time again. This pain happened in my life. I, I just can't. How, how could a God who's good allow that to happen? And they stop their pursuit of God. The other option is we can abandon God altogether. We can give up on Him. And it leads to a lack of life change. Because see, a redeemed life is not a problem-free or pain-free path. Actually, if we, if we look through the characters of Scripture, we say we see all kinds of suffering and trials that they went through as God did amazing things in and through them. We ask this question, if I follow God, then everything's going to be gumdrops and rainbows, right? No, it's not. We need to fight the temptation to think that way. Because when we do, it just leads to our disappointment. Because actually, as I said, there's a promise that trials will come, right? But a redeemed life is a purposeful and a powerful path. If you say, why should I lead this redeemed life that has a promise of pain? Well, because this redeemed life is a purposeful and powerful path. It's one that leads to life change in you and life change in others. And we see this in Job's story. Uh, this is something, ho- hopefully, I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this before. This is just a beautiful thing. When, when you see this difference, if you've been reading through Job at all with us, um, awesome. If you haven't, I'd encourage you, even though we're wrapping up, read through the story of Job. See for yourself the story that we've been learning about. Because you see something when you go from the beginning and then you get to the end, there's something that changes in Job. See, in Job chapter 1, all we know about his kids, we read it in verse 2 of chapter 1, we find out he had three daughters and seven sons. We, we learn a little more that the seven sons would, would host uh, a party in their homes, and then everyone would come over, and um, we don't hear any more about his daughters. If we understand the culture this is taking place in, it, it's likely that his daughters don't have their own place, they don't have their own home, there's no inheritance for them. It's likely that in the time period that this was written, that women were viewed more as property than as people. And even Job, someone who's pursuing God, it would be likely, again, this is, these are things that we have to kind of, uh, um, this is possibly what, what it looked like in that time period. You know, uh, we can't know for sure. But Job maybe was even falling in line with that. that you know, so his sons have a place, his sons have an inheritance of sorts, but the daughters don't. But then look at the end of the story. So Job goes through this pain. Job has this amazing encounter with God. Despite the pain and the struggles, he continues to pursue God. And what was the second step? Life change. And we see life change happen in Job. Let's get Job 42, starting in verse 13. This is after everything's come and gone, and it says, you know, we've already got to Job 42, 12, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job's life. Verse 13, 
He had also seven sons and three daughters. It's okay. God gave him you know, the, the family back that he had lost. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. Uh, I got some amazing syrup from, from her, her niece. It was amazing. Um, but that's, that's a whole other sermon. Um, so the name of the first daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second, uh, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, there, was, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. Well, while that's kind of cool, that's not the point that I want you to see here. I want you to keep going. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Do you see the difference? Chapter 1, Job had three, three girls, seven boys. Every night the boys would have a party, the whole family was invited, and then Job would go pray and offer sacrifice in case they sinned. Job goes through this pain and suffering. God responds to Job. He never addresses Job's pain. Remember from last week? He never says, Job, here's why you're suffering. Actually, it's possible for a moment that God was going to add to the pain, right? Job, gird up your loins. Get ready for battle. Get ready for work. I got some questions I want to ask you. And he has these questions of, do you, do you realize who I am? Do you know my power? Do you know what I've done? Do you know who I am? I am the Almighty God and I am good. And Job begins to all of a sudden realize, okay, that, that's the God that I serve. He didn't answer my question, but I, I know that I can trust in him. He basically has a softening of his heart and a life change that happens. And one of the ways we see that is in this description of his family. So he now has ten more kids, three girls, and seven boys. And as you would expect in a culture that was male-driven, it lists the boys in order and their names and their kids, right? No. It doesn't do that at all. But hey, let me tell you about the names of those three daughters. Let me tell you about their endeavors in the syrup industry. I'm just kidding. Uh, let me tell you about the names of those three daughters. Let me tell you, Job gave them an inheritance which would have been uncommon in that day and age. One of the reasons I believe that we see that is because as Job pursued God, it brought about change, and Job began to see people more clearly the way that God sees people. Job began to see people the way that God sees them. And no longer did he see this male and female. Males get the inheritance. Uh, females don't. Males have all the importance in our society and females don't. But God cuts through that. And, and there's a, hey, they, they, they both have value. We, we see this in the New Testament. If, uh, you wanna get, if you want to flip your can, it'll be on the screen as well. This is uh, Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Do we see people that way? Do we see people the way that God sees them? Or do we place them in different categories? Honestly, the only categories that really matter are, are you walking with Jesus? Do you know Jesus or not? Are you lost? Are you found in Christ? And I think Job was, begin, Job was getting, beginning to see that. He says, hey, I, I want to bless all my kids. See, it's in our suffering, in our pain, in our trials. Honestly, I'm going to go a step further. I'm not trying to, to belittle those. I'm just trying to expand that. It's also in our discomfort. So it's not pain. It's, not, it's just in our discomfort. It's in our simple annoyances. Just in those things that we find a little annoying, 
that I think we're tempted to view people poorly. I can understand when we're going through pain and we're going through trials and suffering, uh, our focus isn't always where it needs to be. And sometimes there, there are moments where we need to uh, apologize or make amends because we spoke out of anger. And I think people are quick to offer grace in those situations. But honestly, in minor annoyances, I think we're tempted and fail to see people the way that God sees them. This, this is a, a confession time right now. Um, so yesterday, Saturday afternoon, uh, with the entire family, uh, which included a overtired three-year-old who was having a meltdown, and yet we still decided to go do this. I do not know why. Um, with the entire family, three kids, me and my wife, uh, we went to Walmart, of all places. Nothing against them personally, but they packed their aisles too tight, and there's not enough space to do what you need to do on a Saturday afternoon to do school shopping. I didn't even need to get into the store, and I was high-strung. And, I'm, and there's, there's these two people walking, and you'd think they were on a beach having a leisurely stroll because they had no clue what was going on around them. And, and of course, in God's divine providence, I didn't come across them once but twice. You know, where they're going across one aisle as you're going, and you come back the other way, and they, you know, you're just about to get past them, they step out in front of you, and, and they're you know, oblivious. And um, I was judging them up and down. Even the point, you know, I was kind of uh, outward conversation with my wife, and, and she was being very gracious, but also uh, uh, humbling me, like, hey, you know, is that really the, the, you know, the, the right response in that? And, and I'm like, no, it's not, and I know it's not. I don't care. I'm annoyed. I, I mean, all I can say is, I mean, hillbillies would have been ashamed of these folks. I mean, I, I was, and, and I was judging them, and I was so wrong. And I get in the store, and I, got, I, 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 I confessed, and it was all better. No, it wasn't. I was so sick of people. I, I, I looked down an aisle and I didn't see people that God might want to pursue or that God sees as precious. I saw obstacles. I saw annoyances. Man, and I wasn't going through a trial. I was just doing some back-to-school shopping. You know? It wasn't even for my kids. It was one of these things. I'm like, how messed up is that? <laughs> it doesn't take much for us to not see people the right way. It doesn't take much. But when we pursue God, when we repent and receive and live a redeemed life, when we pursue God, He brings about life change in us. And we can begin to see people with fresh eyes. And so, after all that, I can say, yes, that was wrong. And I can repent. And I can seek God's forgiveness because God's working in me. And, and I'm seeing all these small little nuances, ways I'm still not seeing people the way that God sees them. In his continued pursuit of Almighty God, Job was left a changed man. Continue to pursue God, and he will change you. He will redeem your story. My own prayer, my desire for us here at Meadowland, is that we would continually pursue God and see many lives changed. Well, I want to wrap up with four different areas where we saw in Job's life, God redeem his story. And i got to say, um, I think I hit on this a little bit already at the beginning. If I, if I did, forgive me, I'm going to hit on it again. Um, in our own personal stories, we don't always experience this in this life. We may. And, and I hope that, and I, I pray that for you, that we would experience God's blessings, but more and more even in this life and in the next. Uh, sometimes uh, we see this in other people who have gone before us and who have 
faithfully followed God, uh, life is just hard and can be uh, challenging and trial after trial and suffering after suffering and, and, and die in the midst of that. And there's an inheritance for us that we receive in death. And so just that alone is a redemption story. And so even though we see Job got everything back, if you're going through trials and loss right now, I am not saying that God's going to give that all back in this life. What I am saying is God has a story of redemption to be told no matter what your days look like when we continue to pursue him and be changed by him. It's an important distinction we need to see especially as we go look at Job's life. And, and here's some of the things that, that happened in his life. We see that God can redeem our friendships. Job 42, verse 7 through 9. So this is right after um, God speaks up and he questions Job. Twice he says, gird up your loins, get ready for battle, get ready for work. I got some questions for you. After all that, Job's finally like, I get it. You're God. I'm not. It's about you and your plans, not me and, and, and mine. Uh, um, I, I surrender. I, I humbly you know, submit myself to you. You know, we're good. And it was genuine. And then God turns to Job's friends. This is a bad time to be one of Job's friends. After the Lord had spoken these words, this is verse 7 here, these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. He's saying, guys, I got some plans because of how you treated my, my servant Job. All right? Option A, you deal with those. Option B, you get seven bulls, you get seven rams, you make a sacrifice, you, you go to Job, you ask him to pray for you, and we'll see what happens. For you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Remember the words and the way that his friends approached him? What would you do wrong, Job? Must have been something you did. God must have, he killed your kids, you know, must have been a punishment for something. There's no hope for you, Job. And yet because Job pursued God, he was changed. And it brings him to a place where despite the hurtful things that were said, when he was at his lowest point in his earthly life, Job's heart was willing to pray for his friends. And the Lord accepted that prayer. Are you in a device of a hurtful friendship right now? Do you have a friend you haven't talked to in a while? For some of you, you haven't talked in, in, in 30 minutes, and that's forever. And for others, you haven't talked in 30 years, and that's forever. I don't know what, what's forever for you, but if there's a friend in your life where there's division, where there's pain, where there's hurt, where there's a broken relationship, let's see if maybe there's a story of redemption that God wants to do there. Let's pursue God in light of that relationship. Well, Steve, what does that look like? Well, let's follow in Job's footsteps. Let's pray for that friend. Let's pray for that friend. Try it. Imagine who, who's the one person that you are the most frustrated with right now. What would it take to be able to come to a place where you could genuinely pray for them? 
Imagine the softening of your heart that God is, is, is probably even doing right now as you consider that as a possibility. As we pursue God, he will change us. He'll change us in ways we can only imagine. There's no guarantee the other party will be receptive. We hope that they will. Job's friends, fortunately, you know, they say, okay, yeah, we want to make this right, and there was, they were receptive, and, and the story of redemption is one where we can imagine that there was a, a restoration of relationship. But we can control what we can control. What we can control is that we can pray for those who are maybe in a broken relationship with. And see how God redeems that relationship. God can redeem our families. We see that he redeems Job's family. Job 42, 13 through 17. And he had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. What an amazing story. So if there was any tension between Job and Mrs. Job because of the, the trials and all this, clearly they got it worked out. We didn't pick up on it. They got 10 kids that they just, 10 more kids. Clearly they got it all worked out. I'm meaning to hit on this. If you have young kids, we're going there a little bit, not too far, but we're going there a little bit here this morning. If I can give you just kind of something, a window into when I do premarital counseling with couples, um, one of the things I talk about is I say uh, the, the, the marriage bed is, is an indication of the health of one's marriage. Think about that. The marriage bed is an indication of the health of one's marriage. I go as far to say this to, to young couples who are looking to get married, even old, any couple looking to get married. I say, as a married couple, if you're having bad sex or no sex, it's a sign of something else going on in the relationship. Because a marriage relationship is all about oneness, two becoming one. And, and sex is the, the most physical outworking of that oneness that two people can share, right? And so if there is another aspect of our lives, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, any other aspect of your life where you're, you're holding back, you're not able to share with the other person because you've been hurt by them, by something they said, by something that you think they said, or, or what you feel, whatever it is, if there's something between you, that will restrict you from fully giving yourself to the other physically. And so hear, hear me on this. If there is no or bad sex going on, See that as a sign that there's something else in the marriage. And work on that. Say, hey, let's figure out what that is. Where do you feel like you can't open up to me, honey? Where do you feel like, hey, here's something we haven't talked about or here's something that we can't share? And, and do that hard work of figuring out what that is. Now, I don't know how you walked in here this morning, but for those of you who are married, if you're going through a struggle, maybe he's had a little fight in the car or, or maybe you had the hundredth fight in the car on the way over. And, and no one really knows quite how deep some of the, the challenges go. Please hear me on this. Your marriage is redeemable. Your marriage is redeemable. And it's worth fighting for. If you have friends who are going through struggles, I don't care how far they've gone, I don't care how ugly it's gotten, that marriage is redeemable when we pursue God and we allow him to change us. Will it take time? Yes. Will it be hard? Yes. Will it be worth it? Yes. 
I've seen too many times couples been married for uh, over a decade, and they get to this point where they're just done. And, and so we, we start doing some counseling, and I say, hey, try this or try that. And, and we, we follow up the next week. How'd it go? Well, I think I'm done. You tried one thing. You spent 10 years screwing this up, and now you're only going to try it. I had a Jeep that I, I tore apart and I put back together. It was a 1980 CJ7, and, and I absolutely loved this thing. It was a blast to work on, and um, I, I'm not a mechanic. And uh, so I, I put a different engine in it, and so I had to change up the fuel line a little bit in the fuel tank, and you know, you're trying to stick two things together. They don't always quite match up, and so I had to kind of customize the fuel pump, which, you know, I, I was sure I couldn't mess up. Um, and uh, I messed it up. And so I, I cut out one time, and I could have just said, you know what? I'm done. And just walked away from it. But I had too much invested in it. I, and I'm not just talking about finance, but just the time and energy. And, and so what I, I put in the hard work. And I, I dropped the gas tank again. And I, I, I fussed around with the, uh, uh, the, the fuel tank. And I put it back together. And I had it working. And then it died a month later. And I dropped the gas. I had the thing down three, four times. That's no big deal. I'm just playing with gas. But anyway, uh, so I got this thing running. It was so worth it. I, I had a blast with that Jeep. Sarah and I would go, and uh, one of the signs we had to get, we probably should start thinking about getting rid of it was when she was pregnant and it didn't have the loosest shocks, and so you know, I think I almost bumped her into, into, into labor there, but um, it, it was a blast. And I'm just talking about a car. Think about the time and energy we put into our marriages. It's worth fighting for. Pursue God. And it, it may not be an overnight change, but your marriage is redeemable. Maybe it goes beyond your marriage to the whole family dynamic in your home. Whether you are with roommates or you, know, you have four generations of family all in the same household or multiple families in the same household. The relationships and family are redeemable and it's worth fighting for. Here's an example of something you could do. If you're not sure, see, where do we start? Start with the family devotional time. Well, we're trying that. Are, are you talking with each other or to each other? Is it one of those things of, hey, let me tell you what you all need to know? Or is it, hey, what should we work on today as a family? Let's see what God's word has to say about that. Honey, what, what, what do you want to talk about? Son, what's something you want to bring to the table? Aunt Jemima, pass some more pancakes. I'm just, I can't get off of that. That's just... <laughs> our families are redeemable. Number three, God can redeem our finances. God can redeem our finances. Job 42, uh, verse 10, and I jump to 12. Uh, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So he worked things out with the friends, and then he gave Job twice as much. If, if you want to, if you're sitting with someone else that you don't mind saying hi to, whatever, have them turn to Job chapter 1, and you can stay on Job 42. You can do that even after I'm done with this, and compare them, and it literally is double. The numbers are double. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep. Chapter 1, he had 7,000. 6,000 camels. Chapter 1, he had 3. 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. So God doubled his fortune. So if I give the church 20 bucks, does that mean God will give me 40? No. <laughs> no. There are people who will teach you that and will say it's from God's word, and they are lying. Or they're just dumb. <laughs> and I mean that the most loving, the most loving, honestly, they just don't know what they're talking about. 
And so I don't mean it to demean it, but it's serious. If someone's telling you, give to God, he'll, he'll, he'll fill your, your, your purse, he'll fill your wallet, he'll fill your bank account. Can he? Yes. Are there cases and stories of redemption where someone had trusted God with their finances and, and wealth just poured out upon them? Yes, those stories exist. Here's one of them in Job. Is it a guarantee that that is the way God will bless us? No. Is it a guarantee that God will bless us? Yes. We get so focused on the way in which that we lose sight of the promise of the blessing. There's no promise of a divine exchange or an incentive program established anywhere in Scripture where you, you, know, you get to be a, a level five gold star member and you can cash in your points for a new boat or a new car. We don't see that in Scripture. But there is a promise of blessing when we trust in God with our finances. This is, this is a whole other series we can walk in. Unfortunately, hey, we got one coming up in November. We're going to walk through a series that doesn't just simply focus on money but looks at a heart of generosity but being a people who give and give freely. And so if, if you're really struggling in your finances right now, you say, Steve, how do I pursue God and, and, and see life change in, in my finances right now? What, what's one thing I could do? And I'll, I'll put this out there. Find a new way or a new place to give. Find a new way or a new place to give. You, you fill in the rest. Steve, talking about finances? Like, you like give money? You tell me. Talk about like my things? Talk about, talk about my time? What are we talking about? You tell me. Find a new way and a new place to give. If you want a hint where I think you should start, find a place where it hurts. It's one thing to say, well, I was given 20 bucks over here. I needed that back. And okay, here, you can have my 20 bucks. So now they say, you know what? I, I'm, I want to surrender my finances to God. So yes, I still need to be responsible and, and, and you know, honor my, my bills and all that kind of things and, and any debtors I have, I need to take care of that. But you know what? I think I can, I can sacrifice this or I can push a little bit on the budget here and free up some funds here to help someone else who is in need. Even if they're not in need as much as I am, if by fulfilling this need for them gives me an opportunity to share Jesus with them, the fact that they're loved by him, awesome. It's worth it. Do you know that our fortunes, our finances, our skills, all that we have to give can have an impact in someone's eternity. Ultimately, it's God working through that, but he wants to work through that. He wants to work through those things to have an impact in someone's eternity. We're not filling the backpacks just because we want kids to learn. That's an awesome thing. That's a beautiful thing. We're filling the backpacks. We hope in some way that God would take this and use this and that someone would say, hey, there's someone out there that cares about me. We're putting a note in there saying, hey, this was prepared for you because you are loved by God and you're loved by this church and by these people. If you want to know more, you're welcome in this place. We, we're trying to find ways where we can use what God has given us to see eternal returns. So find a new way or a new place to give is my challenge for you. Find one that furthers the kingdom of God. We'll talk more about this in, in November. Number four, he can redeem our futures. Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We have a lot of plans going on in our head. It's the purpose of God that will stand. So Steve, you say, I just need to scrap all my plans and get on board with God? Kind of. I think we need to surrender our plans and pursue God. And sometimes... 
this redemption story where the things that we're already doing, God helps us see them in a new way, a new perspective, a, a new way to handle, new, a new way to manage, a new way to do it where it can now have a kingdom impact. But we're still doing some of the same things we were doing before. We're still, maybe, maybe there's a place you're serving, but now you can do it with a, a new perspective. Maybe there's a place you're, you're giving and you can do it with a new purpose, a new motivation behind that. Maybe there's some things that need to go to the wayside. Okay, I need to cut this out because God's doing some other stuff in my life. Do the things that I do, do the things that I have, am I using them in a way that have an eternal focus? Or has an eternal difference in someone's life? Let's be a church that's being about the purpose of God. And when we do that, as we're going through trials, as we're going through suffering, it helps to redeem that a little bit too, doesn't it? It's... I imagine a lot of us, when we heard talking about Job, you're like, okay, I'm finally going to find out why I'm going through all this garbage. And I'm sorry, I don't have that answer for you. Job didn't get it either. But what I do have is that there's a story of redemption being told. And God wants to do that in your life as well. And so I'll close with this. Share your own story of redemption with others. And if you're like, I, I, Steve, I'm not sure what that is. How do I find what my story of redemption is? Well, one, there might be some things that God's already put on your heart here this morning. Here's some things. We're going we're to get busy. We're going to get to work. As soon as you walk out of here, we're going to go do some stuff. Pursue that. Pursue God and see what change he brings about in your life. But there's already change, I would imagine. The fact that you're sitting here in these seats, in some way you're pursuing God or at least warm to hearing him out. And so imagine there's some ways he's already brought about change in your life. And so ask this question, where would I be today if it wasn't for God in my life? Where would I be today if it wasn't for God in my life? Where would my relationships be? Where would my finances be? Where would my, my focus be? Where would my time be? Where would, where would I be? And as you begin to think about all the ways that God has already brought about change in your life, you're beginning to see the redemption story he's already played out in your life. Let's share that with others so they can point people to God and say, there's a place for you at his table as well. Join us. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We just thank you so much for the story of Job. Father, we wish that you would have gotten to the why. We wish that we would know uh, why Job went through all that. And it would give us some hope. Maybe we could find out why we go through the pain that we go through and that we experience, Father. But all that being said, we are so thankful that you are God. We're so thankful that you have purpose for us in this life, that you have a plan in this life, that you desire to use us to see your kingdom come. And that what you do, Father, brings about uh, your glory and our good. We thank you for that, Father God. And so we surrender ourselves to you, Father, asking that you would continue to play out your redemption story in our lives. Help us to pursue you and to be changed by you and to share that story with others so we can make you known amongst the nations, Father. Pray this all in your name, for you are holy and precious and worthy. Amen.